from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I remember one time I had to mail a letter to an agent uh, and mail it without the opposition knowing it. This is the story of a retired CIA case officer during a time when he was working behind the Iron Curtain. It was uh, January, very, very cold, uh, below zero. And uh, after a long route to try to ensure that there was no one behind me, I got to uh, to the place where I was supposed to mail it. And in those days, just mailing a letter could get you killed, especially if you were an American intelligence officer. You know, the, the fear, of course, of getting caught, I was actually sweating. It was well below zero, but sweating because of the concern. And for Mark Kelton on that day, the last thing that he wanted to happen, happened. My hands were so cold, I, I opened the letterbox, uh, went to slip the letter inside, and it dropped with a clang. The rest of his heart-stopping story, plus the connection between his career and two of the most vilified men in American history, Osama bin Laden and Edward Snowden, coming up on this, the 100th episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Welcome to Target USA. This is the 100th episode of our program. And today we have a very, very, very special guest with us today. His name is Mark Kelton. Mark is a retired CIA officer, and he's not just any retired CIA officer. But as I said, he's a very, very special person. And that's the reason why he's on this very special episode of Target USA. So without further ado, uh, Mark, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, JJ. It's an honor to be here. So let's begin by telling people you are a retired CIA officer and um, you distinguished yourself in many ways. But in order to get to all of the details such as we can, uh, I'd like to figure out first how you got into the intelligence business. Well, uh, JJ, I didn't plan to become an intelligence officer. Uh, Most people don't. It's not the normal profession one sets out to to take on. I came out of uh, college at the University of New Hampshire and then graduate school at the Fletcher School and applied to CIA as an analyst. Um, that was a natural transition for me. I specialized in uh, security studies and Soviet studies. Uh, I joined CIA in, in the fall of 1981, uh, but never worked as an analyst. I was uh, in my training at CIA. They said, well, would you like to be an operations officer? I didn't know what an operations <laughs> officer was. Uh, in fact, I'd never been overseas before. So, so what's the difference? Well, an analyst is... Uh, 
produce Finnish intelligence, the operations officer collects intelligence. Mm-hmm. Operations officers have their life primarily overseas uh, or focused on the foreign field. Um, and as I said, I'd never been overseas before uh, and had really at that time, of course, there was no signs outside CIA headquarters at that time. And there wasn't that weren't that many books written about what it was like to work in what's called the Directorate of Operations in CIA. So my experience was only what I really uh, took on during my training at CIA. So somebody approached me and said, we think you can be an operations officer. And I said, would you, would you want to do it? And I said, well, I'll take it. I'll try. I'll mm-hmm. try. And uh, I never looked back. A great decision uh, and a great honor. Me. Yeah. So, so what were some of your early assignments then? Well, uh, after after training uh, as an operations officer at CIA, which is very rigorous and remains so today, uh, I was sent to uh, Eastern Europe uh, mm-hmm. into Czechoslovakia, communist mm-hmm. Czechoslovakia. It's not the same Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic as today. Czechoslovakia then, my memories of it are black and white. Uh, it was and alternately. Thrilling and terrifying to work there. <laughs> so now explain the, 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 the black and white pieces. Now, is that a reference to the era? The era. Or, okay. The era. Uh, and it was grim. Hmm. Uh, Prague today, of course, is a beautiful city, and thank God democracy has come to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but um, the fact of the matter is, back then, the, uh, the communist Czechoslovakia was a repressive state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it was an era of the Iron Curtain. I tell my students there was a Cold War. I lived it. Uh, so my first my first assignment abroad was uh, working, be, if you will, behind the Iron Curtain mm-hmm. uh, against a, a very um, uh, capable adversary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was my first my first job, and as I said, it was alternately thrilling and terrifying to do that because it, it is like a spy movie. So give us a sense of that Mark Kelton spy movie, thrilling and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. So. Um, this was something, the terror that you felt deep inside your gut and, and inside right. internally, not just things you saw, right. but there, right. was, there was palpable fear and concern. Right. The, 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 the palpable fear and concern was not so much for me. I, I never really worried about my physical uh, well-being, but I worried about the people that we were working with. Working as an operations officer uh, for CIA, uh, the primary focus that we have is on the agent's who actually provide us the information and mm-hmm. protecting them. Mm-hmm. They are, after all, the reason that uh, CIA exists, is to provide human intelligence uh, that others cannot provide. Um, and, you know, we make a differentiation, to be clear, between agents, which are the foreigners that work with CIA, and case officers, that are the operations officers, who actually do the work of handling, recruiting and handling agents. But meeting them in an environment uh as existed, such as that that existed in uh, Prague during the Cold War, could be terrifying. Uh, the The adversary uh, was um, constantly there trying to detect what we were doing, and it was our job to keep our agents alive mm-hmm. and to ensure that they continued to provide the intelligence the United States needed. Was there any story or any particular um, memory uh, of that time frame that you can share with us today that would encapsulate just how just how important the work was, just how difficult it was, just how, you know, terrifying it could be, and just how, I guess, uh, I guess, I suppose, just how um, thrilling it could be to, to see it all come together. Well, I mean, there's, there's many stories from that time frame. I'm not going to talk about specific agent operations, but I remember one time I had to mail a letter 
to an agent uh, and mail it without the opposition knowing it. It was uh, January, very, very cold, uh, below zero. And uh, after a long route to try to ensure that there was no one behind me, I got to the, uh, to the place where I was supposed to mail it. But, you know, the, the fear, of course, of getting caught, I was actually sweating. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was well below zero, but sweating because of the concern. Um, I, my hands were so cold, I, I opened the letterbox, uh, went to slip the letter inside, and it dropped with a clang. And all the the letterbox itself dropped with a, dropped with a clang. Wow. And, and I looked up and down. It was a vacant street, wondering if anybody had heard me. I remember the, I remember that till the uh, till the day I die. Actually, that moment, thinking that you know, my God, I could have I could have blown the operation at that point. Fortunately, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, the sort of little things that stick in one's mind. There are myriad examples like that. Do you find yourself waking up at night sometimes, or do you have moments where you just kind of? kind of go off the emotional or the, 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 the mental grid at, at, at points in time and just kind of flash back to these things? Well, I think, you know, I had many experiences throughout my career and uh, I will, I'll probably always wake up thinking about uh, activities I was involved in or decisions I made as to whether they were the right or wrong decisions, uh, reviewing them. Um, I know that I made them the best I could at the moment uh, and I think that's all that I could hope for, but uh, it doesn't mean that I don't... Uh, uh, I don't think back on them. Yeah. As I promised you, listening audience, that this episode would be a very special one. This individual is a very special person, and um, we're going to continue to press into our interview here. You're, you're, you've been talking about Eastern Europe, Mark Kelton. Uh, and by the way, how many years did you work at the uh, CIA? I worked there for 34 years. Okay. And you spent the early part of your career obviously during the Cold War era, during some very important and dangerous work. Uh, and and if you look at what's going on now, um, specifically with the U.S. and Russia, right. you know, sure. at this point, you obviously had some significant interaction, you sure. know, back in that time frame and a very good understanding of what was at stake and how things worked and how people worked, et cetera. Right. What we see now, a lot of people for the first time, many people, this is a rerun, and for you, I'm certain it is, um, this Russian interference in our democracy. How, how would you characterize the threat, uh, and what should we do in response to this threat? Well, first, give us a comparison between then and now, sure. um, and, and, and characterize the threat today and what we should do in response. So I spent the early part of my career in what was called Soviet operations. So the first decade of my career was spent working against the Soviet Union and its allies. The Soviet Union collapsed. I was still in the area of the CIA working against Russia uh, and the Russian targets. So uh, and to that degree, I'm a Russian specialist mm-hmm. uh, and uh, pretty well steeped in Russian and Soviet operations. Um, what's going on today, the interference in democracy, was not, frankly not a surprise to me um, in the sense that... Uh, if you look at, at Russia and the Russian intelligence services, uh, there's a long history of interference in elections abroad. Um, and it shouldn't have surprised, I think, Americans that this would happen or that this would be part of the, uh, the um, uh, capabilities of the Russian services. The Russian services are, are interesting in that they are the inheritors of the Soviet services, the traditions of it, and they're very proud of that. 
and their inheritance of the operational histories. If one pulls down a history book off the shelves, say the Matrokin archives, which is uh, Vasily Matrokin, who was a, an archivist for the KGB, mm-hmm. and looks in there, you'll find chapters on interference in elections, including U.S. elections. What the difference now, of course, is that the, uh, the Russian services have been able to uh, operationalize and weaponize modern technology to enhance what they call active measures operations to influence a foreign target, in this case, the United States. The target um, uh, American democracy, again, should not be a surprise. Why is that not a surprise? Uh, because Vladimir Putin, who grew up in the Soviet era as a KGB officer, certainly recognized that the the one single factor that brought down the Soviet Union, in addition to the Reagan's uh, defense buildup and the like, was the, um, the idea of democracy being loosed within the Soviet empire and the fact that the, the repressive forces, the, the, uh, what the Soviets called the organs of state repression and the Eastern European security services, were no longer willing to use the power of the state to repress democratic ideals. Mm-hmm. And Vladimir Putin certainly recognizes that democracy and the idea of democracy is the greatest threat to his autocratic rule. So uh, it is natural that he would strike at the strength of the United States and seek to weakness, weaken it. And that is the idea of democracy. Mm-hmm. And in that case, uh, this has been a very effective operation. I'm mm-hmm. sure they judge it as so, although I don't think they anticipated it would be as effective as it's been. One of Mr. Putin's very close political allies, Vladimir Zirinovsky, yeah. on election night had a party mm-hmm. and celebrated what was going on here in the U.S. And one of the things that he said, um, he said, we've been trying to do this for 70 years. And um, I'm wondering, what do we do in response to this? What should be done in response? If you were operating now and you saw what took place uh, in 2016, what would your thoughts as an operational figure in the Central Intelligence Agency be? What would your objective be, your suggestion be? How would you approach engaging? Uh, well, Zhirinovsky is a controversial figure in Russia, by the way. Um, uh, long history of making outrageous statements, but I, I will... Uh, so you're saying he might not be telling the truth? Well, he he he, he tends to uh, he tends to speak after a few shots of vodka <laughs> that uh, that uh, uh, you know impacts what he says. But um, I'm not saying it's true or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, the issue of what we would do, I and mean, the first thing to do is to collect very very good intelligence on Russia, which is always a challenge. But you want to know what Why their so? plan, what their plans and intentions, because they are the most professionally proficient adversary the United States confronts. Mm. A long history, the Soviet and Russian intelligence services have penetrated every organization of the United States government worth penetrating, meaning putting agents within. And there's a long history of this. Uh, they, they have professional skills uh, and are uh, a very, very difficult uh, and challenging uh, target. Um, so for CIA or other intelligence agencies, they remain uh, a test of professional skill to work against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so collecting the best intelligence you can and then coming up with, a, again, a formulation that stresses the strengths of the United States, which, frankly, is our democratic ideals. Uh, you know, Putin, again, getting back to him, clearly identified that as the center of gravity of the United States and chose to attack it. His resentment over uh, the role of democracy in bringing down the Soviet Union, what he saw as uh, the, um, 
uh, the U.S. threat to Russia by expansion of NATO and democratic ideals into Eastern Europe. So he chose to attack the area that he thought he saw as at once our greatest strength and his greatest vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we have to counter that. One of the things you just said was um, how Russia is essentially the most proficient adversary the U.S. faces. They've penetrated every organization, Mm -hmm. uh, including your own former. That's right. And so you can name names if you like. um, But what I'd like to hear from you, though, is amongst those names, why, why 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 did they and why do Americans become spies? for foreign intelligence services right. like the Russians. Well, I mean, there's a long history of, of, of Soviet and Russian targeting of the United States, and one can look at a number of different stages in that targeting. Of course, the Soviet Union came into existence in 1917. The early part of the Soviet Union was heavily ideologically driven, of defense of the early Soviet state. Um, and um, the, uh, the early recruitments, if you will, of U.S. agents, Americans working for the Soviet Union, were in large part ideological, uh, people who were motivated uh, by the. So communist. it wasn't money. There were there was some money involved, but the principal motivation. Every agent that that is recruited by any intelligence service, there's always a mix of motivations. Mm-hmm. But the driving factor at that era, amongst Americans and frankly other Westerners, was ideological, a belief in the bankruptcy of Western ideals and looking for a new, if you will. Uh, star in the in Moscow with which which to follow um, after uh, of course during that time they uh, they succeeded in uh, fantastically uh, as we was later revealed by the Venona uh, program that they had uh, at one point were running up to 300 agents within the United States government at various levels some very senior mm-hmm. uh, the they uh, attacked successfully under Operation Enormous, the Manhattan Project, and stole uh, U.S. atomic secrets. But after the 1950s, that began to change. The ideological, the ideological drive of American Americans working for the Soviet Union and later for Russia fell away. And uh, what became the principal motivator was money. And most, most spies who have worked for the Soviet Union and Russia uh, since the mid 1950s have been driven by money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so we want to talk about penetrations or, uh, people who betrayed the United States and the intelligence services, uh, Aldrich Ames, principal among them in, in CIA. That was money that motivated Ames by his own attestation. Although you can never be wholly certain that he's telling the truth, uh, being who he is. Um, he decided to spy for the Soviet Union when his uh, expenditures exceeded his income mm. and sought a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, Hansen, uh, FBI officer who uh, spied for the Soviets. And, and I think that's Robert Hansen. Robert right? Hansen, yeah. Um, a mix of motivations. Uh, and a, a tremendous ego, believed he was the best counterintelligence officer uh, in the United States and was not being recognized by the FBI or uh, as such, uh, but also money motivation, mm-hmm. uh, known early on to the, uh, to the Russians or the Soviets and as Soviets and then the Russians as Karat, uh, because he wanted to be paid in diamonds. Mm. Um, but money, uh, and, um, ego, big motivators with Hansen. 
we're talking with a gentleman who refers to himself as a retired Central Intelligence Agency officer. Proudly refers to myself. Proudly? <laughs> and, um, well, he should. He should be very proud of the things that he's achieved. His name is Mark Kelton, and this is Target USA. This is our 100th episode. Very special show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another phase of his career. We've already talked about Aldrich James and Robert Hansen, famous spies. But when we come back, yet another, Edward Snowden. And we're going to talk about his work on the Snowden case. He's a liar and in the end a traitor. When we return to Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. We promised you a very special program on this, our 100th episode of the program. And on this program, we're talking with a very special person. Mark Kelton is his name. He calls himself a retired CIA operational officer, but he was much, much more than that when he was working in, and even still continues to contribute in major ways. You'll find out more about that as we continue. One of the things that he was involved in while in the agency was the aftermath of the discovery of Edward Snowden. If you aren't familiar with him, he was a former contractor for the U.S. government who in 2013 in June fled to Russia of all places. And Mark, we're going to continue our conversation here by asking you, um, to tell us about the Edward Snowden situation. How is a leaker different from a spy, which is, you know, is he any different from Aldrich James, as you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are differences. The consequences can be the same uh, in the sense that uh, there's exposure of classified information. The leaker, uh, the spy, of course, makes, a, makes a, a deliberate decision to engage in espionage on behalf of a foreign government. The leaker, uh, on the other hand, violates his oath of secrecy in the case of Snowden in particular uh, and leaks classified information that ends up being damaging to the United States government, in this case of Snowden, gravely damaging. And then ultimately, he fled to Moscow where he becomes little different from a spy. But mm -hmm. leaking is a huge problem for the United States. I'd say a couple of things about Snowden that really bear uh, saying. Number one, he claims to be a whistleblower um, and he, uh, he actually claimed that it was uh, a misstatement by the DNI in the spring of 2013 that motivated, or was a principal motivator in his actions. If you see the movie Snowden, which I had a hard time getting through, frankly, but I did see it, this is highlighted there. In fact, Snowden began collecting information that he ultimately stole months before that. Mm -hmm. uh, there, Snowden was a narcissist who... Uh, did not believe he was getting a significant, uh, sufficient recognition for his, um, his skills. Um, secondly, Snowden, uh, he violated his oath, which uh, in, in the modern era um, uh, may seem quaint, but the fact of the matter is that uh, a person entrusted by the United States government and the American people with protecting them uh, should view that as a sacred uh, vow. He uh, chose to violate that oath stole information, violated the privileges and access to that information, and then carried it to our principal adversary. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing about about Snowden, uh, there have always been leakers, by the way. If you look back through U.S. history, there, there's, uh, there's always been leakers, people who take privileged information and use it for political gain or some other cause. Uh, the difference with Snowden that he um, sort of symbolizes is the damage in the modern era that someone who abuses their privileged access can do. And that's true certainly in the federal government. It's also true in private industry. Uh, if in the era of the analog era, if you will, uh, spies that I worked with or in, uh, agents that I worked with early in my career, they could do great damage to a target organization. Uh, but that damage was bounded by the technology that they had. They had a camera, mm-hmm. maybe they had a copy machine or else they carried out paper. In the modern era, someone who betrays their oath can take a thumb drive and destroy an organization in 30 minutes by walking out the door, Mm. downloading information. So for the U.S. government, this is a a great challenge to protect the classified information that it has, but it's also a challenge for private industry, which is under threat uh, both from foreign competitors and, frankly, from foreign intelligence services in many sectors. Uh, And Snowden sort of crystallizes that because he is, if you will, it is a, a watershed event for the United States. I've spoken with Rick Legend, who was the mm-hmm. deputy director at the NSA. Yeah, good man. And George Barnes, mm-hmm. who is the current deputy director at NSA, on uh, January 17, 2018, they too worked on that, uh, mm-hmm. or that, that Edward Snowden situation very carefully and closely, just as you did. What did you find out, or what have you found out about how much damage he was able to do because Legit said they discovered um, that his information actually pr- proved to be a university of some sort to U.S. adversaries. Many of right. them, including terrorists, went to school on that information and made adjustments right. um, with that information. Well, I mean, uh, Snowden claims, of course, that uh, he did it, he did the motivation for what he did was be, uh, due to spying programs allegedly directed at the United States citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if one grants that that's true, and I don't grant that that's true, um, if you look at the information that we know or strongly suspect that he took, one could even with the most generous definition uh, say that only about 8% of that information even remotely connected to programs that he alleged were being used to spy on American citizens. That leaves 92, 93%, even under that most generous definition, of information that had no connection with that. Many, much of that information did significant damage to our ability to uh, uh, attack terrorist organizations, mm-hmm. uh, to counter terrorist organizations, our ability to collect uh, sensitive uh, intelligence against what CIA and CIA parlance and NSA parlance is hard targets, the diff- most difficult targets we work against, Russia, China, Iran, mm-hmm. and uh, greatly undermined the confidence of the American people in their intelligence services. Uh, there is a significant uh, percentage of the population that to this day believes that what Snowden did uh, not only had some validity, it was right. Mm-hmm. And that, that both within the United States and outside. Um, and, you know, the, the, the position of intelligence services in the United States uh, as secret organizations in the world's greatest democracy is always one that is fraught with tension, and it should be. Mm-hmm. The Americans are uncomfortable with secrecy. 
uh, and as someone who worked on the other side of the secret wall, I was always conscious of that. Uh, you know, that uh, there, one of my, um, my great mentors at CIA, uh, Mike Sulik, once said, I defend democracy, I don't practice it. The practice of intelligence requires discipline in a secret world. Mm-hmm. But one can never lose sight of the fact that we work for democracy. So I understand the tension and suspicion that the American people have over, over um, intelligence organizations and activities. At the same time, I, I would hope that um, the American people would grant that the people who work in the intelligence services, be it NSA, FBI, CIA, are honorable people trying to do the best job they can, and it's very, very difficult, and trying insofar as they can to do all they can to defend the American people within the bounds of the law. Mm-hmm. Snowden uh, never exercised his whistleblower rights, and there are rights within, the, within uh, the intelligence community. He never made an effort to expose the concerns he allegedly have. So to, had to, so to my way of thinking, um, he's a liar and in the end a traitor who ends up in um, the capital of our greatest intelligence adversary, and uh, I hope he enjoys it there. You know, it's interesting you mentioned him being a liar and a traitor and you're wishing him uh, success living, (laughs) (laughs) well, ill in a successful way. So, but you mentioned that he started this in 2012. That's right. Do you believe that he, it, it seems like that's what you're saying. This never started out, this never for a minute was a whistleblower operation. This started out as a deliberate act from the very beginning. Yeah, a deliberate, a deliberate malicious act. Now, in intelligence parlance, of course, if someone, if, if let's just take Snowden out of the equation, if I found out someone was collecting and hoarding information, classified information, with the intention of taking it out, I would say that he is a putative intelligence volunteer. You can take that information to a hostile service. Mm-hmm. In this case, the, the hostile entity that he was taking it to was the press, and I'm not saying the press is hostile, but the press, in effect, was receptive to the story Snowden was telling. Mm -hmm. And uh, he um, was able to get his story out and to spin a narrative absent uh, an ability of the United States government to counter that narrative. And that that is the the double-edged sword of technology today, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Instant broadcast uh, around the world. And we saw it again, of course, with the Russian operation against the, the United States and, and the elections. Um, the ability to propagate information very quickly. I think it was Churchill or Mark Twain, they always, I always confused the two, who said, you know, uh, a lie gets around the world before the truth gets its pants on. Mm. So, you know, if you put out the narrative and establish the narrative in people's minds, it is very hard to refute that narrative. We saw this with Snowden. We see it again with uh, the Russian narrative about the U.S., do you feel like there may be more like Snowden? Oh, there are. Yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. I, you, you know, you look at spies. One of my predecessors as chief counterintelligence at CIA, Paul Redmond, said it's, it's an actuarial certainty that there are spies operating in the U.S. intelligence community today, and there always will be. Uh, so you take spies. If there are spies, there are certainly leakers. Uh, mm-hmm. And people who decide to abuse their uh, privileged access for whatever reason and to uh, share those secrets with uh, with uh people that aren't supposed to have access to that information. And, you know, I, I, it may seem trite sometimes to, uh, to people outside to say they're not supposed to have access to that information. Why can't they have access to that information? Well, A, because uh, it will destroy the sources of that information. That source can be an intelligence operation that is gathering the information, or it can be a human being. Mm-hmm. And the consequences in the world 
uh, are, are for an agent of CIA or an agent of the United States that is caught can literally be lethal. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's certainly true in um, work against some of our main adversaries and terrorist organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are trying to protect human beings. Secondarily, uh, but of equal or greater concern, uh, is the fact that if you destroy our collection programs that are directed against protecting us from people like, from individuals or organizations like Al-Qaeda or ISIS, mm-hmm. uh, you put your fellow citizens and the citizens of our allies at risk. And that, too, can have lethal consequences, as mm-hmm. well as for our military personnel. One quick question before we close this 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 episode of our podcast, because um, there's a lot more to talk about here. Um, there has been um, revealed on the 16th of January 2018, you talk about a person who decides to turn his back on the IC. And there's been a situation where uh, a person who worked for the same agency that you did was arrested a, a day or a few, a few days ago, uh, but actually was under uh, investigation as far back as 2012, we know. Uh, and, you know, according to court documents in this particular situation, the individual um, had a small notebook with phone numbers and real names of covert uh, CIA um, employees in it. And I'm wondering, not... And understanding you can't get into details about this, and and, and, and and I understand that, and that's fine. Interested in hearing from you, though, what this kind of behavior does, how this kind of behavior is dangerous. Well, I won't comment on the particulars of the case, but, uh, you know, um, having, having dealt with a number of um, betrayals in the past, uh, it has consequences, of course, for, again, as I, I said earlier, the trust of the American people in its intelligence agencies. Uh, it has consequences inside those organizations. The betrayal of Aldrich Ames, for instance, uh, had a drastic effect on the people that he worked with. When you have someone who is in your own ranks who turns their back not only in the organization but betrays the people that he works with, that is devastating. The same sort of effect that, uh, that uh, hit NSA after Edward Snowden leaked information. The other, um, the other thing I'd say is that without commenting on the particulars of this case, again, Human beings literally die because of these betrayals. Uh, And um, that, to me, is a profound moral issue. Uh, You know, Ames, uh, when he um, was caught, he admitted that he knew that the people that he betrayed were going to be put to death. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... um, that takes a cold person to do that, uh, and uh, a, a a person who um, is morally hollow, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the folks that uh, decide to, or uh, the people that decide to uh, betray their country, um, it's a, a question of motivation, immediate motivation, and deeper motivations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to look at them as individuals and um, shake your head. If you've been listening to this podcast, I told you at the top that we were talking to a very special person. While the title appears modest, there is absolutely nothing modest about the accomplishments, the engagement, and the understanding of the individual we've been talking to today, Mark Kelton. We've only done a half of what we set out to do, so he's also going to be the guest on our next podcast. And when we come back on our next show, 
the untold story to some extent of the hunt for Osama bin Laden is one of a heroic effort by CIA and other members of the intelligence community. After 9-11, the United States strikes back. Uh, we uh, move into Afghanistan to go after uh, uh, al-Qaeda and its Taliban allies, topple the Taliban regime. O Osama bin Laden flees ultimately to Pakistan, but we lose track of him in Tora Bora. One of the reasons we lost track of him, frankly, were leaks in the United States about the intelligence coverage, the, the, the coverage that we had on Osama bin Laden on his phone. That's what you're going to hear from Mark Kelton in our next program. Plus, some details about his mysterious illness after bin Laden was killed. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please, subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. All the big names are on Podcast One Sportsnet, the home of Dan Patrick. If I'm hanging out with any of the Kardashians, I'm hanging out with Chloe. As well as news shows like Red Circle Sports with Dennis Miller. Goodell has become completely full of it. Riggle's Picks with Rob Riggle and Sarah Tiana. Do you know the difference between a million and a billion? Um, the B. And AP Sports Weekly with Jim Litke. Have you guys ever considered trading Alabama for the Cleveland Browns? All this and more exclusively on PodcastOneSports.com and the Podcast One. One app. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.